Good evening, brothers and sisters in Christ. The, um, I would like you to turn to Luke chapter 10 in your Bibles. We'll spend a lot of time there, so if you would, please get close to a Bible. Uh, you will need one. We'll be turning in many passages, and I think it will benefit us all as we go for the Word of God. As you're doing that, let me take this time to just say a good, to just echo the statements of a good evening to everyone that is here, to our visitors. We want you to know that indeed you are our honored guests, and we're very privileged that you're here to study the Word of God with us as well. We pray that you will be able to look for the Scriptures and see that all we care to do is just do what that gives glory and honor to the Almighty God. I know it's uh, Super Bowl Sunday, and it's very honoring to see all of you out this evening. Um, that says a lot about your dedication and your love for the Lord. That being said, you can expect me to preach till midnight. I don't know why you're laughing. <laughs> just kidding, just for the visitors. Um, I will do my best for us to stick within the order that our elders have set aside for us. So turn to Luke chapter 10. And in verse 25, we have a question before us that says, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? The question which was first asked by a lawyer to Jesus. Students of the Bible will know that this lawyer asked Jesus this question because, he's, because he wanted to test Jesus. The part of Luke 10.25 I did not read tells us so. At the beginning of Luke 10.25 it says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him. I started with the question because I believe it is a good question. Some of us will ask in some form or another. How can I know for certain that I am going to heaven when I die and not deceiving myself? This was also a popular question in New Testament times. If you turn over to Luke chapter 18, in Luke 18, we will see another man ask Jesus the very same question. And in Luke 18 verse 18, it says, Now a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus did not dismiss the question, but he answered it. And this is going to be the basis for our study tonight. Again, I understand that this question is a trap the lawyer was trying to set for Jesus. But you and I do not have to dismiss this question as evil intentions. The only people who knew that the lawyer was trying to set a trap for Jesus was the lawyer himself, Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit. Luke, the writer of his gospel, did not know this at that time. It was Jesus and the Holy Spirit who knew. The Holy Spirit recorded it through Luke for our learning. So the first lesson that I want us to kind of capture out of this les the lessons that Jesus taught is to recognize that God knows the intentions of our curiosities, the concerns and the questions that we have. We need to be aware of such all-knowing power. Therefore, we will approach the question of a lawyer as if it were our own question, with sincerity, to appreciate how Jesus helps us. Luke 10, 25, the lawyer asks, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus answered, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? 
Jesus, even knowing that this was a test, responded in a sincere and a very powerful response. This again provides the following lessons for us. To know what is written in the law, the word of God, means I ought to be reading the word of God. As well, the answers to questions about inheriting eternal life and the surety of my convictions are contained in the Bible, the word of God. And then the second question that Jesus posed to the lawyer as he answers him helps us to recognize when we read, what do we understand out of our reading? What life lesson can we learn? You see, we cannot read the same scripture and come to differing conclusions, but we can come to differing applications. That's the goal of Bible study. That's where we share ideas with each other that benefits all of us. Some of us may know Luke 10, 25, verse 37, as the parable of the Good Samaritan. It may even be in your Bibles as a subheading. As students of the Bible, or in case you are unaware, subheadings are not inspired. The subheadings are aids, just like your Bible chapters and verse numbering. But if you keep this section of Luke chapter 10 in proper perspective, the Good Samaritan is not the focus of Jesus' teaching. Jesus was giving us in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 47, a blueprint for the conviction in our internal inheritance. So Jesus asked the lawyer, what is your reading and your understanding of what the scriptures teach on what to do to inherit eternal life? And the lawyer responded in verse 27, and we'll read Luke chapter 10 and verse uh, 27. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. I appreciate the song that Brother Estes just led before this because this is what the Lord is helping us to understand. You see, the lawyer answered what God taught his people, the Israelites, that they were in a relationship with God because of love. Turn over to... Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, if you get to Numbers, go right. Deuteronomy chapter 6, and beginning in verse 4. It says there, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our Lord, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. And with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. This, is, this was good for Israel and it is still true for us today. We should recognize individually this relationship of love is because God is love. We love because he first loved us. And he is the one who taught us how to love. Look at First John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, and beginning in verse 7. 1 John chapter 4, and beginning in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. 
In this is the love of God was manifested towards us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God, is so love, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. And verse 19 shows us, we love him because he first loved us. Brethren, you see, I resist to give in to adultery because I love my wife. But more than that, I love God more. We strive against sin and temptation because we love God. It is God who, us, who taught us such commitment in love. Loving God with all my being and obeying his commands is the assurance God gives us of our eternal life with him. The lawyer gave the right response. Turn back to Luke chapter 10 again. Luke chapter 10 Jesus affirms that to him in verse 28. Jesus says in Luke chapter 10 and verse 28, you have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. It's simple, right? Do that and you can be assured of eternal life. But that is not the end of the lesson. That is certainly not the end of Jesus' lesson. Look at verse 29. Let's read that. Verse 29. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? We already identified that only Jesus and the Holy Spirit knew the lawyer was trying to justify himself. So let us not be too harsh on that individual. All of us have curious questions. God alone knows the intentions of our questions. Sometimes, when things seem so easy, we do not want to accept it. The lawyer introduced a complication for himself, not for Jesus, by asking, who is my neighbor? So Jesus proceeded to answer the question, who is my neighbor? This answer is what could make eternal life difficult to grasp for some. Let's read it together. Luke chapter 10. And beginning in verse 30. But Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came, came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed on by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil, oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took up two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, and whatever more, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, 
he who showed mercy. When Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Again, the complication was not for, not for Jesus. It was for the man who was trying to justify himself. But to better appreciate the lesson, Jesus is teaching the lawyer and us. Let us begin first by examining the parable, the parable settings and its characters. Parable, parables are like parallels. They're analogies, typically of real characters, real circumstances. Jericho is a real place. The journey from Jerusalem to Jericho is a real trip, often taken by some, even Jesus. Turn over to Luke chapter 18. In Luke chapter 18. In Luke 18, and in verse 45, Luke 18 and 45, we see here, when it happened as he was coming near Jericho, this is Jesus, but a certain blind man sat by the road begging. This is the same Jericho Jesus is referencing. Look again in chapter 19 and verse 1. When Jesus entered and passed through Jericho, the danger of being beaten and robbed is very real. Parables are not fables. They are not bedtime stories, the kind that we tell our children at night so that we can help them get to sleep. Parables are for those who will read or listen and apply what they are learning to the spiritual improvement of their lives. Luke chapter 8 verses 9 through 10 in this context teaches us this. But let's turn to Matthew 13. And you'll see how one verse captures that very thought. It's a parallel to Luke, chapter, to Luke 8, but it's well captured in Matthew chapter 13. In Matthew 13 and beginning in verse 13, it says, Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. But here is the essence. Verse 15. For the hearts of these people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. If the lawyer is willing to understand with his heart and justify God, not himself, he will get the lesson of the parable. You see, that's another lesson that Jesus was also teaching us. If I am willing to understand the scriptures with the purpose of seeing God's righteousness and his justification, I will not use the scriptures to justify myself. I won't use my knowledge of the scripture like the lawyer did to justify my own self. The other thing that Jesus was all that we're going to use to examine this this, the, the lessons here. We're going to talk about the major characters. So turn back to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10 again. Turn back to Luke chapter 10. And in verse 30 to 33, we will notice that it's said here that a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves. And then we'll see two other characters that are in there. There is a priest, and then there is the Levite. We can conclude the priest and the Levite are Jews. 
They have Jewish religion mentioned throughout the New Testament. We are not told the certain man's nationality. However, without being dogmatic, we can assume he's also a Jew. Jesus' gospel was often addressed and addressing matters to the Jews. If you remember the story in John chapter 4, where Jesus meets with the Samaritan woman, and even his apostles were stunned that Jesus is talking to a woman far less, a Samaritan. And she was the one who said in verse 9, Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. They are the ones being feeling alienated by the Jews. This is another lesson from this story, to notice classism, something Jesus has been teaching throughout his ministry. If you remember in Matthew chapter 23, let's jump over to Matthew chapter 23. In Matthew 23, there is a story, well, Jesus identifies to his disciples the behavior that he doesn't want to see them exhibit. And he's addressing the religious people of the day when he says, Matthew chapter 23 and verse verse 2, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. I'm going to skip down to verse 5. He says, but all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their viral assets broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the best places at feasts the best seats in the synagogue, greetings in the marketplaces to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. And then Jesus tells us in verse 11, but he who is greatest among you, you shall be, he who is greatest among you shall be your servant and whoever exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He was forbidding this sort of practice when he mentioned to them, no one, call no one father. That's reserved only for God. And call no other rabbi, because there is only one. That's your teacher, Jesus the Christ. So that the apostles can recognize that we do not set class structures within the assembly of God's people. Like Galatians tells us, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Jesus' lesson for his disciples and the Jewish lawyer had as the main character a Samaritan. Someone not considered of the same religion, of the same culture, but using a Samaritan, a foreigner, Jesus then demonstrated a fundamental Christian virtue in compassion. The Samaritan did not approach the situation with prejudice. Notice the actions of the priests and the Levites. Each of them to move to the other side. They approached the situation and then moved over to the other side. Everyone saw and possibly could assess the situation for danger to themselves. Don't rule out common sense. Jesus is, however, teaching a greater lesson in context of the question on eternal life. Only the the Samaritan approached the situation with compassion. The one 
not expected to show compassion is the one who does. The lesson for us, the disciples today, is how do we approach others of a different race, of a different gender, of a different mindset, of a different culture? Why do we as Christians think we are at a loss and approach the world in a position of defeat? Complaint. Some group get out to get us to destroy Christianity. Brethren, Christianity started with this action in Matthew chapter 121. We're going to do some rapid fire scriptures here, so I want you to turn over to this, and I have it on the screen so you can kind of turn to as we go along. Christianity, and I am very, and I'm, I'm condensing it a little bit, but if you think about it, Christianity started with this proclamation here. Matthew chapter 1 verse 21. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this is done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through a prophet, the prophet saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and bear a son, and we shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. And then we see it, this action put in motion by Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. Turn over to Matthew chapter 16 and in verse 18. Matthew 16 and 18. This is where Peter is having this conversation with Jesus. And, and after Peter makes this revelation of Jesus is the son of the living God, Jesus tells him in verse 18, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. If the gates of Hades will not prevail against it, what on earth can prevail against it? It was also effected on the day of Pentecost. Turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 verse 41. Acts 2. And in verse 41. And then we see, after several souls received the compassionate message of salvation. And we'll speak more about that in, towards the end. We see the, the Lord putting things in action. Souls were baptized. And then we see in verse 41, Then those who were gladly received this word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Verse 47 of Acts chapter 2, praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. God is in action and these things happened more than 2,000 years ago. And in the will of God, the church remains to this day in all nations. So compassion and grace continues to save even us. Many of us know these passages on the screen. Ephesians 2, 4, 5, 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved. It is the will of God. It is the free gift of Almighty God. Do not think we were saved by God to be abandoned to this world. Look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And beginning in verse 35. One of my favorite passages among many. <laughs> Romans 8 and verse 35. We were not saved, brethren, that God just turned his back on us and is like, see ya, don't work that way. 
Verse 45, Paul tells us under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or perilous word? Verse 48, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, and things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then, brethren, we see a father's reaction to it, towards his son's repentance. Every one of us knows the story, or at least familiar with the story of the prodigal son. And we had a lesson about it a few weeks, several weeks ago, but this is something that always impresses me. Look at Luke chapter 15, verse 20. And, this, and he arose, Luke 15 and 20, and he arose, and that's the, that's the prodigal son. When he came to his senses and he repented, he arose and he came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. His father had compassion. And ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Brethren, how many times we'll be thinking, get him, he's a wicked person. But the father didn't think that way. And it's not far-fetched because the older brother did. He didn't like that. But the father showed compassion towards and mercy towards his repentance. Our brother Tim gave us a story of for those of you that were at West Main when you had the young man who committed this heinous crime and he repented and God showed mercy. That's what our Heavenly Father does. He shows mercy. And finally in Luke, finally as nothing, this is the last point of the lesson. I still have some time. Finally, in Luke, we see as well Jesus' compassion to feed the multitudes as depicted in Luke chapter 9, verses 10 and 11. But I love where the kindness he showed to this grieving mother in Luke chapter 7 and verse 13. There is this grieving mother, he comes, and then there is this procession for a funeral. But Luke says he had compassion on her. Told her, do not weep. And he raised her son from the dead. Brethren, none of these qualities show weakness. God did not demonstrate weakness towards us, but compassion. As a beneficiary of compassion, without partiality, I can therefore remove prejudices and fear to approach others with compassion. And the only good news that leads to the way of eternal life. That's what I got. And we are so privileged and blessed to have gotten it from our Heavenly Father. Compassion is just one of the virtues of being a good neighbor. Jesus also taught another virtue by the parable, that of mercy. It is enlightening that from the question, who is your neighbor, it was the lawyer who answered the word mercy in answering his own question. And you see that in verse 37. Do you remember the parable of Jesus in Luke chapter 18, 
verses 9 through 14. Let's turn over there. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. It's another great parable. But this is where mercy also is being showed. Jesus taught that parable comparing and contrasting. Luke chapter 18 and verse 9, it says there, Also he spoke this parable to some, and notice this, who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, and that always gets me, and despised others. So when we despise others, that's how we pray. The Pharisee stood, prayed, verse with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like this other man. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. It's all about me. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. I'm a great disciple. And this always gets me. This is one of my favorite prayers. It's a prayer. The tax collector, standing afar off, he wouldn't want to approach the temple. He didn't think he was worthy. Would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven. He did not think he was worthy. But beat his breast, saying, God be merciful to me. A sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. By whom? Not by himself, but by God. God resists the proud, but he exalts the humble. See, brethren, this parable here was also a parable of individuals recognizing God's immeasurable mercy. The merciful doesn't assess situations from a selfish, myopic point of view. The Christian doesn't start already thinking outwardly as if I'm better than others. Instead, the Christian looks inwardly, grateful for the mercy that we are beneficiaries. The action that comes out is our reflection, a reflection that should be of Jesus Christ. Matthew 5, 7, paraphrase there, tells us the merciful will obtain mercy from God. James chapter 2 and verse 13 tells us, For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And Peter teaches us, Who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. That's who we are. We have obtained mercy. Mercy. There is so much more that can be said about mercy and compassion. But hopefully in the time spent, we got a better appreciation to Jesus' lessons in the response to the question, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? The lesson Jesus taught is that God knows our thoughts. Our thoughts should be driven by our reading and understanding of the Bible. The blueprint to eternal life is in the Bible. Our love for God and loving our neighbor as ourselves. Likewise, having qualities as compassion and mercy, two fundamental virtues among others that are throughout the Bible, but God first showed us 
The lesson from the parable was not about a good Samaritan. It was not so much about knowing who is my neighbor. The lesson Jesus taught was more a response for a disciple who desires to be like his teacher, Jesus, and know the qualities that will allow the disciple to inherit eternal life. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, sum this up good. Therefore, if any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done for selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself, let each of you look, not, look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. That was in Christ. The apostles had the mind of Christ when Peter taught the crowd the good news of God's compassion and mercy. In Acts chapter 2, verses 37 to 38. This is the final passage for the evening. And when you turn over here in Acts chapter 2 and verses 37 and mercy, in places you do not expect compassion and mercy, it is often shown. You see, Peter had just taught, taught the first gospel. And he taught it to men that were right there who knew that they were part of, they were among the crowd that had crucified. Jesus Christ. They knew. This was not far removed. But then Peter teaches them the good news towards eternal life. And he tells them in verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ, at this point, you would think that this is about get them back. Let's get them back. This is one of the things that makes the Bible from God, not from men. That's how men think. God doesn't think that way. Instead, Peter had learned and understood the compassion that Jesus demonstrated. And Peter said in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it was his words. Now when they heard, verse 37, before Peter spoke up in verse 37, he says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And here's the compassion and the mercy. This is, you will not expect this. Peter said to them, repent. You mean that's all? That's it. That's it. You put to death the Son of God. But the Lord is now commanding you to repent. Turn away from your sin. Turn back to God. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises to you and to your children and to all who are far, and all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Brethren, the lesson about the lesson that Jesus taught was about eternal life. And this eternal life was a lesson he taught the lawyer. 
But now as we're reading it, it is for us. If you have never been baptized for the remission of your sins, you have not received God's mercy. Sadly, but truthfully, you are missing out on access to eternal life. It doesn't have to remain that way. You can decide today to change that and choose the free gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus. If you are a Christian, but you, if you are a Christian but you are living in sin, the Bible and your conscience is what that's convicting you. You are also living cut off from eternal life. Do not be left to God's judgment and wrath, which is just as sure as his compassion and his mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment, but you must consider your state and do what is necessary before facing the Almighty God. We are here to help you, to pray for you, and to study the Bible with you, baptize you into the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, if that is your need. We pray that you will continue, you will consider your now and your eternity as we stand and sing.